Good morning, and welcome to On Target, a radio ministry of Village Bible Church in Hot Springs Village. We are located near the Coronado Center at 100 Ponderosa Way. Our Sunday morning service starts at 9.15 a.m. We hope you will enjoy and benefit from the sermon you will hear this morning. Now sit back and relax as you listen to a message by Senior Pastor Dr. Jason Lancaster. I want you to think about legacy for a moment. And as we think about legacy, I'm going to compare two men in history. One is the great Puritan pastor, Jonathan Edwards, who had 11 children and he invested in them and he gave them the gospel and he built his kids up in Jesus. And at the same time, there was a man named Max Jukes, who was a godless man and a criminal. And a scholar compared the descendants of these two men. I'm going to put it up for you in a graph form. Here's Edwards' legacy. 13 college presidents, 65 college professors, 75 military officers, 80 public servants, 60 authors, 60 doctors, 30 judges, 100 pastors, 100 lawyers, three U.S. senators, and a vice president. It's pretty good. And here is Max Jukes' legacy. 310 died as paupers, 150 were criminals, seven murderers, 100 plus drunks, and 190 prostitutes. Are you seeing the picture that on this earth, your life and your actions can have a trickle-down effect down the line of your descendants? And the question is, what kind of legacy are you leaving? That question alone can produce a lot of guilt and a lot of shame for the things that you have done or the things that you have left undone that has brought you to this point in your life. So rather than heap shame and guilt on you for what you have done, let's take it from today forward and think about what kind of legacy are you leaving to your adult children, grandchildren, to your church, to your neighborhood, to your friends. And of course, we can talk about and hone in on men on Father's Day, but I want to branch out to all of you. What kind of legacy are you leaving? You can feel guilty and full of shame as you reflect back, or you can start today and move forward and have this ripple effect impacting others for the glory of God. The reason why I'm bringing this up is because in our passage this morning, we're going to see a certain kind of legacy left that wasn't good. We're back in the book of Joshua. We're just going through the book this summer, and the Israelites are taking the the promised land little by little. And after walking around the walls of Jericho for seven days, the walls came down and the city was sacked. The rest of the battles should be a cakewalk, but not so fast. There's about to be a defeat, and the question we want to ask is, why the defeat? A lot of ground to cover in these two chapters. We're not going to be able to read every word of it, but we're going to see a lot of it. So let's go ahead and jump in. The next battle after Jericho, let's see how it goes. Pick it up in Joshua 7, starting in verse 2. 
Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, east of Bethel, and said to them, Go up and spy out the land. So the men went up and spied out Ai. They returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not let all the people go up. Only about two or 3,000 men need to go up to Ai. Do not make all the people toil up there, for they are few. So about 3,000 men from the people went up there, but they fled from the men of Ai. The men of Ai struck down about 36 of their men and pursued them from the gate as far as Shibarim and struck them down on the descent. So the hearts of the people melted and became as water. Ai is after Jericho to be conquered. It's much, much smaller. So in turn, they only sent about 3,000 warriors to take the city, but the men of Ai whooped up on them, killing about 36 Israelites and running them out of town. And we are told that the hearts of the people melted and became as water. Joshua, being the good leader that he is, basically throws a fit before the Lord. You ever thrown a fit before the Lord? Here is a world-class fit before the Lord. Look at verse 6. So Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening, both he and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why did you ever bring this people over the Jordan only to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? If only we had been willing to dwell beyond the Jordan. O Lord, what can I say since Israel has turned their back before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it, and they will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? Tears his clothes, falls down before the ark, and says, why, 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 why did you bring us this far only to hand us into the hands of the enemy? This is not one of his finer moments, but at least he's bringing his complaint and lament before the Lord. Now, if you don't know this story, you may think that the Israelites got arrogant and they got proud. And rather than marching with their entire army to defeat Ai, they only sent 3,000 men. So perhaps the Lord is teaching them a lesson not to just march off to the war without inquiring of him. But that is not the issue. The issue is that there is sin in the camp. Sin in the camp. Look at the Lord's explanation, starting in verse 10. So the Lord said to Joshua, Rise up. Why is it that you have fallen on your face? Israel has sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant which I commanded them. And they have even taken some of the things under the ban, and have both stolen and deceived. Moreover, they have also put them among their own things. Therefore, the sons of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn back before their enemies, for they have become accursed. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy the things under the ban from your midst. Rise up, consecrate the people, and say, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, for thus says the Lord, the God of Israel has said, There are things under the ban in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you have removed the things under the ban from your midst. The Lord explains their defeat by saying, Israel has sinned, 
and transgressed my covenant, and they have even taken some of the things under the ban. Let me explain. When Israel went off to fight against Jericho, they were to go and destroy everything. They weren't to take anything for themselves, and only the silver, gold, and precious jewels would be given to the Lord for the first fruits of the victory. The language is just things under the ban. That means that no individual was to snag anything for himself. They weren't to steal anything. They weren't to take anything. Those were things under the ban. And the Lord said, if you do that, you will not have victory. So let me let you in on something. Somebody in the midst of all those people stole something under the ban. And it's in verse 1. Look at verse 1 of chapter 7. But the sons of Israel acted unfaithfully in regard to the things under the ban. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, from the tribe of Judah, took some of the things under the ban. Therefore, the anger of the Lord burned against the sons of Israel. Achan went into battle. And while he was there, he coveted some of the items under the ban and he took them. He took these things under the ban, and God views it as all of Israel acted unfaithfully. One guy does something naughty, and the whole nation is punished. Why? Why? It's, it's his deal. Why are the rest of the nation of Israel punished with a defeat? It's because the community is to live a holy life collectively, and the Lord views them as all guilty. So the defeat came to all. Isn't it amazing that his sin could have such a devastating effect on the nation? And you can see this in other parts of the Old Testament. Remember David took a census for the military purposes and 70,000 were killed. Or Jonah, he's running away and those on his ship were all in danger. You may view your sin in isolation as if you're not hurting anyone else. But the effects of your sin can be devastating. And if you don't deal with your own personal sin, you may think that it's not going to impact anybody else, but it can and it will. There's a variety of stories I could tell. But I think about this, this one guy. He was married, a godly man, married to a godly wife. And all of a sudden, late at night, his wife started getting these perverted and lewd phone calls over and over and over again. And it disturbed the husband. Of course, it disturbed the wife. And after many, many days of this going on, all of a sudden, the phone call stopped. And the man, the husband, was under great conviction because the phone call started on the day that he started looking at inappropriate and immoral material. And the phone call stopped on the day he repented. No idea who was calling. No clue, never found out. But God was showing him in a graphic way that his sin could also impact his wife. Because here is the reality. No one sins in isolation. No one sins in isolation. You may think if you got something going on that's just you and your thing, it can be impacting others. 
I would go as far as to say is that some of you can be in some stuff right now, and because you're into that, it is hindering you from showing the good works that God wants you to do. Your personal sin could be hindering you in evangelism because in your guilt and shame, you won't speak up. It could be hindering you in missions. It could be hindering you serving in this church right now because you're into something you shouldn't be in and you should be serving here, but you're not because your mind and your heart is occupied with hidden sin. No one sins in isolation. Within the body of Christ, we have to deal with it. And the way they deal with it here is pretty violent. Can I just summarize what happens? Because there's a lot to read. I'll just summarize for you. Achan, when he went there to war, he's he's kind of a wealthy man. He had livestock, but he went there. He stole a cloak. He stole silver. He stole some gold. And he knew that was wrong because this is what he did. He stole all that stuff, went in his tent, dug a hole, put all that stuff in the hole, covered it up, and he's thinking, I'm good. It's all hidden. (laughs) No one knows. I got my tent. I got the floor. All the stuff that I stole is hidden. No one knows. It's like this story, this little boy, he's busted by his father because he was participating in some sin. And the dad asked, didn't you know it was wrong? And the kid said, I didn't think it was wrong because you didn't know it. As long as you didn't know about it, Dad, I guess I didn't think it was wrong. And so many times we may think, well, as long as we're not busted, then we're good. What's the harm? But not only is your concealed sin still sin, but if you think you can conceal sin from God, you're a fool. Because I guarantee you 100%, if you are a child of God, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you will be found out in your sin by God and by His grace. He will come and discipline you. Our Father on Father's Day, our good, good Father, disciplines His children because He loves them. And if you are continuing on in sin without God's intervention and discipline, then you have to truly ask yourself, are you a child of God? Because if you're continuing on in your foolishness and sin without God's intervention and discipline, chances are you might not be a child of God no matter what you say, no matter what aisle you walked. Because God disciplines his children. He intervenes. He gets their attention. He brings things hard their way to wake them up. Because God, our Father, disciplines those he loves. But in this case here, in the case of Achan, God brings judgment. And to summarize once again, Achan is confronted. The things under the tent are discovered. And watch this. This is what happens. Achan gets killed along with his wife, along with his kids, and everything else. They were probably in on it as well. They probably knew about it as well. And they were completely destroyed and killed. You may think, well, that's kind of some graphic Old Testament stuff. (laughs) Can you imagine that happening here? Surely this is not New Testament stuff, right? Let's do a little New Testament story for you real quick. There's a story of Ananias and Sapphira. 
And I wanted to impress upon my last church the sin of Ananias and Sapphira. So when I preached on that passage, as we were going through the book of Acts, there's just no joke, I brought two body bags on stage. That's pretty graphic. It was depicting the death of Ananias and Sapphira in the early church for lying. Lying to God and lying to His people. And God dealt with sin. And I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but I want to tell you, when churches stray, we want God to deal with us. If we're straying doctrinally, if we're straying in our practice, Whatever is happening, we want to deal with sin in the camp. We're not going to be mean. We're not going to be sin hunters and ask you all these questions all the time. But you know what? We want to deal with stuff here. Because when churches drift, God's power is gone. When churches fall away, they're no longer used by God. We want to deal with sin in the camp. We want to have it eradicated. Yes, we are sinners saved by grace. Yes, we still sin. But we want to be repentant sinners. Repentant sinners are those who are trying to follow Jesus by His grace and by His power and repent and find forgiveness each time we sin, even corporately. So now sin has been dealt with, it's been eradicated, and next comes the victory. Look at chapter 8. Just one verse here, chapter 8. Now the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear or be dismayed. Take all the people of war with you and arise. Go up to Ai. See, I have given it into your hand, the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. And all the details of chapter 8 go on to explain the great military strategy to defeat Ai and the victory that the Lord achieved. Isn't it really good news that the Lord doesn't forsake us in our sin? He doesn't forsake us. If you're into something right now you shouldn't be into, He does not forsake you. He wants to draw you to repentance and faith, and He wants to give you victory in that area. The Bible tells us in the New Testament in 1 John 8 and 9, if we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Such good news that God wants forgiveness when we confess our sins. It's really good news on today on Father's Day because I'm a father of seven and I guarantee you I have blown it not only seven different ways but seven times seven many different ways. And for those of you who are fathers in here, you have blown it as well. You know, there's some things in our past we didn't do what we wanted to do as we were raising our kids, some things we regret, some things that we need to repent of, some things we need to confess, maybe confess to our older children Maybe confess before other people, our brothers and sisters in Christ. Maybe confess before our wives. But here's the good news, my brothers, is that you can find forgiveness. Even if you've messed up your kids. Even if your sin messed up your kids. And as you see your 45, 50-year-old kid and they are messed up and you know that you are the one that had some part in that from some of the actions you did while they were younger. There is still grace and forgiveness for you. And there's the ability to start again and even asking forgiveness from your older child, 
and grace to start again. It's not going to be pretty. It's not going to be clean. There's going to be a lot of hurt feelings. It can be very messy, but there is grace to start again and again and again. And if there was it, then what's the point? If there is no forgiveness, then what's the point? If Jesus didn't rise again from the dead, forgive us our sins for sure, then what's the point? There is a point. There is forgiveness and grace to start again. But it is going to come through a time of commitment. Yes, Israel did have this great victory finally over I, but you know what? If they did at the very end, they committed themselves and recommitted themselves to the Lord in his word. Joshua reads the law to the nation, including all the covenant blessings and curses from the word of God. But before he does his time of commitment, I want you to notice one verse in Joshua 8, verse 32. Joshua 8, 32. He wrote there on the stones a copy of the law of Moses which he had written in the presence of the sons of Israel. The point of writing the law on these stones was a reminder to him and a reminder to all Israel to commit to the Lord and his word. I think it's amazing they did this, wrote out the law on the stones so they could commit to the Lord and his word. I was thinking about the Lord speaking to us through his word, an encouragement we need from our Father on a daily basis. And it came to me yesterday when I was watching the College World Series during the day. I didn't get to watch the Arkansas game, but I heard they lost. I'm bummed about that. But we're watching the College Baseball World Series, and I was watching, I think it was Michigan play. And I don't know if you've seen Michigan play. They have the goofiest belts you've ever seen. Belts. Looks like they're wearing a solar panel. As a belt. It is, it is huge. I'm not joking. And on this belt is all these numbers that correspond with like signals, like what you're supposed to do in batting or how you're supposed to field a particular player because they can't always hear the coach in the dugout, all the details. So the coaches in the dugout are yelling out all these numbers and they look at their bell and it corresponds with the words. But it's not just plays. It's also words of encouragement. Really. So he'll yell out 16. Look down 16. 16 says relax. <laughs> really. He'll yell out 36 and 36 says have fun. Isn't that amazing? So he's able to communicate to his players while he is in the dugout. Our God is here to communicate to us through his word. And we have the numbers. <laughs> we have what he wants to say to us, to guide us, to encourage us, to warn us, to tell us how much he loves us. And so we want to stay connected to his word. And one of the ways that, that Joshua does this recommitment time, he writes the word, the law of God, on stones for the encouragement and the recommitment of his people. So what we have done today for each man in here who wants to recommit to the Lord, we didn't write out all the law on stones, but we have a little rock that says Joshua 8.32 that we wrote that on there. 
And these stones are available in the lobby for the men who want to recommit once again themselves to the Word of God. Recommit to following the Lord. All the men in here who say, we want to follow the Word. We want to impact not just our families, but others. So this, this is for men. You know, I, There's a number of them out there, so you better get yours before it's gone. But if they're all gone, all you got to do is go get a rock and write Joshua 8.32 on it, all right? <laughs> not, not much to it. And it's such a, isn't it such a random verse? I bet you never thought of that before, right? But it's a reminder to commit and recommit to the Word of God. Because what we want to continue to do is obey today and leave a legacy for tomorrow. Because I believe that no matter what age you are, there still is a legacy play in your life. There are things that you can do today to impact the next generation. A lot of people may look at our church and they think, what are you guys doing there? Most of you are retired. Where are you able to impact for the kingdom? But I just think about uh, the Sunday school class right across from the hall. They just sent over 100 kids to FCA camp. That is a legacy play. There's still ways that we can impact the next generation. And I must add that their legacy play came in the context of studying the Word of God. As we get into the Word, and we recommit ourselves to the Lord, we can impact others for His kingdom. And as I finish up here, I'm going to tell you the best part. This is amazing. Achan, did you catch what tribe he was from? He was from the tribe of Judah. Do you know anyone else from the tribe of Judah? Jesus Christ. Achan failed. Jesus Christ did not. And through his perfect life, death on the cross, burial and resurrection, those of us who have failed like Achan for find forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Grace and mercy to start again. But I do also want to tell you that this forgiveness and grace and hope to move forward sometimes comes through discipline. Hope can sometimes come through hard times. God may bring you through seasons of difficulty and discipline, and in those seasons, you can have hope. And one of the most amazing passages in the Bible connected with this story comes from the book of Hosea, of all books. And I want to put this out for you. Hosea chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, where we can have hope through discipline. Let me read to you. I'll read it to you slowly. Therefore, behold, I will allure her. Who's the her? Israel. Disobedient Israel. I will allure her, bring her into the wilderness, and speak kindly to her. Then I will give her her vineyards from there, and the valley of Achor as a door of hope. And she will sing there as in the days of her youth, as in the day when she came up from the land of Egypt. That is beautiful. The Lord disciplines his wayward bride Israel, but he was still going to give them hope in the discipline. 
I love the imagery. The valley of Acre as a door of hope. He turns the place of trouble into hope. You may be undergoing a variety of troubles and maybe it's discipline from the Lord and yet in that suffering, it can be the blessing of hope. And we only know this can happen is because Jesus Christ turns the valley of Acre into a door of hope, that it is through him and those who look to him find forgiveness and the ability to start again. So no matter your past failures, you can be forgiven in Jesus Christ and you can have hope. And your time of discipline in the desert can spur you on to hope and grace and mercy. We hope you enjoyed this message. It was preached recently at Village Bible Church. You can hear this message or let others know about it by visiting our website at vbchsv.org or call us at 922-0404. Meanwhile, have a blessed day as you walk along the way, guided by God's Word.